For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week, our guest is one of the great foreign policy reporters and analysts and the global enterprise editor for the Associated Press, Indira Lakshmanan. Now remember, we love taking your questions, so write into politicsroarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. And please check out the links to our recent sponsors and our past episode show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors. It helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, James, there's so much to talk about. Let's start with your fellow Louisianan, the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. The more we learn about him, the more we understand this was a thoughtless GOP choice out of desperation. You know, I don't criticize anyone's religion unless they want to impose it on others. Johnson meets that test, I think. He's a fundamentalist Christian who has compared homosexuality uh, to bestiality. He's a fundamentalist Christian who uh, wants a national abortion ban and declares the United States is a, quote, Christian nation. The indefatigable David Korn found a video of only a few years ago where he declared there is only one truth, Jesus, and called for a biblically sanctioned government. When asked how to determine his beliefs, he said, go pick up a Bible. And that's my world view. James, it's been some years since I read the Bible. You may be more conversant than I am now, but I don't recall any biblical verses that talked about overturning an election or impeachment proceedings against the winner. Uh, maybe Mike Johnson can find that. But, you know, whether it's out of belief or necessity, he has already in short order played in, in less than a week plan to his right-wing crazies, keeping uh, their impeachment uh, crusade on, letting Biden have it, splitting off the Israeli-Ukraine aid proposal so Ukraine could get starved. And I never thought I would say this. We might miss the always flexible Kevin McCarthy, James. So to go to your point, you know, and they'll say, oh, you know, I'll go and dig up all this old stuff and you never know. Well, let's just go back to October 26th. That's like a week ago, right? Right. And he said, when Sean Hannity uh, questioned him, he said he described himself in the Bible as his exclusive guide in life. Quote, what does Mike Johnson think about every issue under the sun? To go pick up the Bible off your desk and read it, and that's my worldview. That's what I believe. Okay, <laughs> so let's pick it up. Let's talk about uh, Denny Hassett. Better to tie a millstone around a man's neck and throw him to the sea than harm a child. Or uh, whatever you do for the least of thee, you do for me. Or uh, we're stewards of the earth. 
but you're right. It, it, I, I, I'm, I'm at loss to find the AR-15 passage and whatsoever you pick up and shoot thine children are welcome into thine kingdom. Yeah, right? don't, don't what does ban. it say about uh, global warming? What does it say about flooding? I mean, you know, we know about flood from the Old Testament, but, you know, modern flooding? What does it say about it? What does it say about uh, election cheating? What does it say about any of this? And, okay, so that you say, well, that's an overly simplistic view of the world. Maybe it is, but it's his view. It's his view of a week ago that if you want to know my position on anything, go look in the Bible. I, I, I mean, it, it, it's stunning. It, it's further stunning that someone in this day and age would say something that transparently stupid. And, but I, I, I got to tell you that you're right. Kevin McCarthy was a, it was a jello in, in, in a pretzel configuration. And he didn't believe anything. And honestly, I'd rather have somebody in there that doesn't believe anything as opposed to somebody that believes in some 2,000-year-old, not particularly accurately transcribed view of the world. I'm sorry. That's just where I am. Yeah, I think I am too. And I wonder if he'll cite the Bible versus blessed are the poor, blessed are the children when things like the child tax credit comes up or the tax bill that's uh, heavily skewed to the rich has to be extended. I kind of I kind of think he'll find a different biblical verse then. Yeah, you know, he was uh, one of the things that I was just reading this morning. He was trying to start a law school at Louisiana Christian, which I always knew as Louisiana College in Pineville, and it was going to be the Paul Pressler, the, the Judge Paul Pressler College of Law. Uh, Paul Pressler uh, is uh, a, well, he was apparently, according to Wikipedia, had some interesting relationships with some men. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't want to repeat anything that I, I didn't read. Really, bestiality. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would be a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stuff there, but uh, uh Constant Johnson's law school in Pineville uh, never, never never got off the ground. Uh, maybe he'll try again, or maybe he'll get an earmark for it. I don't know. You know, he and many Republicans are really stridently uh, supportive of Israel. I think a number of those do it in good faith. I mean, I'm sure the majority. But some of those fundamentalists, if you read what they say, they, they see this in biblical terms. They see this as the Armageddon, the rapture, where it all ends and Jesus returns and everybody follows. The Jews become Jesus followers. Uh, and and I, whatever that philosophy is, whatever that theology is, I don't think it has a whole lot to do with what's happening in Gaza today. But uh, So if you believe that, if that is part of your, your, your very core existence. And I've got to say, if that, in, in, they, they, go over there and grab a rifle. What are you doing here? If you think the entire world is waiting for some massive book of revelation thing, why are you sitting here? Right? If you think that the people of Maine, that these families need prayer, well, then go to the funeral and confront these mothers and say, you're not praying enough. That's your fault. You've turned away from God. It has nothing to do with AR-15s. And I'm, I'm a person enough to come here and confront these people and tell them to hit their goddamn knees and pray because this is the vengeance of a, of, of a just 
God who has his wrath because of a lack of prayer in the United States and people shooting up children like their target practice. God damn, I get enough of these people. Well, I don't, I don't blame you in on this. You know, and, and, and Johnson, who is run by staff and I guess some, some of the right wing crazies, he, he is going to separate the, the aid package, separate aid to Israel and aid to Ukraine. The intent, of course, is to conceivably starve Ukraine. I don't think you'll get away with it. But, but he takes the aid to Israel and he says, all right, we have a big budget deficit. So we have to offset it by $14 billion. Then we're going to take that from the IRS budget. That is so dishonest. If you cut $14 billion out of the Internal Revenue Service, that means they won't be auditing high-income tax cheats, and actually it would cost revenue. It would probably cost as much as 30 to $40 billion added to the deficit. Uh, and this is all being done for well-heeled donors. It's, it's, it's just amazing. And I would just finally say, James, that I do think that, that what's going to be interesting to watch is the internal dynamics in the Republican Party. I think, I think McConnell... As you know, I'm not a great fan of Mitch McConnell, but I don't think he's going to go along with the Mike Johnson uh, theory of biblical governance. And I think the timid 20 in the House, those who just barely won, we may lose George Soros, but those who just barely won, we'll see if they want to be lemmings or not, or they want to stand up. So let me tell you how idiotic this, this literal biblical interpretation and guidance is. Unfortunately for them, there's a... a, a saying attributed to, to Jesus, and of course we know that it's the inerrant word of God, you know, God pushes a pen, who says easier for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle than enter the kingdom of heaven. Right. Well, we have, to, we have to figure an interpretation of that because that doesn't sound very good. And so they, what they'll say is, is Jim, because they call me Jim because they don't know me. You, you don't understand what that means. There was a thing called the Jerusalem Gate. And it was very narrow. And if you had too many goods or something like that, you had to leave them at the gate to get the donkey through the gate. That's how idiotic this literal biblical translation is to justify Hall and Crow and, and people giving Clarence Thomas uh, big recreational vehicles or whatever. The, the whole thing is all based on a lie. It's all based on, on, on a lie, and, and in order to keep the lie alive, they have to keep making up more lies. The last thing in the world, in the world, that these people have any interest in following at all are the teachings of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. As Gary Wells famously said, the social gospel, comma, which is the gospel, comma. All right? And so you're going to push your idiotic interpretation of Scripture and on, on force it on people of the United States and the United States government. You don't even have it, you don't, you don't have it close to right. Not close. And I'm just sick of the whole thing. I'm just damn. Yeah, I, I, James, you're absolutely right. This is a, they, they really are a very troubled group. You know, I have to say. They're dishonest. However, they're not troubled. They're dishonest. You're ahead. right. They are, they are dishonest and they're crazy. The Democrats are troubled. 
Congressman Dean Phillips of Minnesota, as you know, filed for the New Hampshire primary, which is going to be held January 23rd, despite the Biden-dominated DNC insisting it won't recognize it. They're going to be write-in votes for Biden, whatever, whether he likes it or not. And Stiffy, New Hampshire, as you know, I've been saying ever since they made that decision, is a big White House mistake. Now they're attacking Phillips, who I don't know, and I'm, I think he's a stand-in uh, if anybody should get in late or not. Uh, they're attacking him for being insensitive to blacks in the party because South Carolina was put first to elevate the role of blacks. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Critics. South Carolina blacks have actually decided the last three presidential nominees, Obama, Clinton, and Biden. Now, I don't know how you get more power than that. And the Biden cheerleaders are suggesting any supporters of the New Hampshire primary, which has survived for more than seven decades and is not as diverse as, as it should be, are racist. Maggie Hassan, Jean Shaheen, I think not. Look, you know, first of all, I didn't realize this. I heard on the radio this morning. Did you know Dean Phillips is dear Abby's grandson? No, but God, if he gets to the White House, we can get advice, James, on how to raise our grandchildren. <laughs> He's okay. So Scott, uh, seems like a, 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 a guy that won a, a congressional district. He, he's uh, yeah, obviously very, very wealthy. It, it, when they start playing these, it, understand New Hampshire's a swing state. We got a governor's race coming up there. We got to elect two Democratic senators. They're two Democratic congressmen. And just to interrupt, James, they think they can take over the state legislature for the first time in years. I, I don't I don't get this. I don't get I, I, I just don't. And of course, now it, it, we are going headlong. A lot of people I know, a lot of people I respect who are friends of mine said this is all done. It's certain it's baked in the cake. It's going to be Biden versus Trump. And in the end of the day, they're going to find Trump unacceptable and Biden is going to win and everybody is going to go peacefully and marching into the future. Under this doctrine of strategic certainty, there's no such thing as strokes or heart attacks or medical interventions or guilty verdicts or Iowa acting differently or quirky New Hampshire or or. No labels or Cornell West or Bobby. None of this exists. I, we are told this is where the world is. And if you don't accept that world, you are a political novice and a loser. It's already determined. That is the argument. And I, I have to concede that nervous Nellies like myself that says, gee, it's, it's, you know, you know, it's gonna look like we, this requires a little more thought. They've been, you know, rolled over by all of the 185 IQ people in the Democratic Party. You shut up. We know you don't get out of the way. That's that's where they are. Yeah, it is. That's where they are. You know, James, I think a deeper or more serious divide may be. Uh, the, you know, the Republican Party has its divide over Ukraine because it has some pro-Putin members. But the Gaza war shows, I think, uh, schisms among Democrats that pose a, a challenge. Uh, younger Democrats in particular uh, sympathize more with the Palestinians, see them as victims. Uh, and I, I, this is a divide that Biden and congressional Democrats can ill afford. 
how much of the Democratic Congress, what, what, percent, what percent of the Republicans believe, don't believe that the election, that, that Trump lost the election? 60, 65? Right. What percent of the Democrats are against aid to Israel? Four oh, percent? Three or four percent. Three or four percent. So it, we have to stop conflating that, that it's, it's one thing or another. Yes, there are some, some, you know, if you take where Rashida Tlaib is from, actually is probably the majority view in that congressional district. I don't know, but it's, it's the most heavily uh, uh, Muslim district in the country. But it's not the same. All right, it's not the same, and and you know some holding a, a Palestine Writers Festival or somebody pointing out <laughs> that they were told that Hamas would win the election in two thousand six, but all the geniuses in the country said, "No, you got to have it." Of course, they never had another one. Uh, it's just it, it, yes, it 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 it's kind of troubling. I think some of them are are pretty naive. Uh, don't quite understand. There's a, by the way, a great article uh, by Simon Seabag Montefiore. I'm sorry, I might be mispronouncing the name. And I'm pretty sure it was in the Atlantic in why Gaza is not equivalent to colonialism. They don't even know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. All right, they don't even have no fucking idea of, and they just mouth stupid left wing shit. And but it's 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 again. The number of people, and look at Tom Etzel's column today, is to how many Republican voters are sympathetic to the doctrine of white nationalism. All right? And, but, you know, we, 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 everything has to be, oh, no, but you got, they got crazies, you got crazies. It, that's, I, 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 I don't, that's the premise that I'm true. Well, I think you're right. I, I think my concern was that uh, that you know younger Democrat voters. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking yeah, about politicians. Younger people are quite are quite different, and they're quite unenthusiastic. And when we see these folks, like look at Trump. You know, if you look at Seth Myers, you look at everybody. Did Trump don't even know what city he's in? He and he screws up. He forgets shit because he's old, like I am. And they look at that and say. Okay, look at this. You got two people. One guy is going to be 78 when he's elected or, or something like that. The other one's going to be 82. And when young people see that, it doesn't make them want to vote. They think they, they think there needs to be a new generation of leaders in this country. They don't, they don't look past Trump or Biden. And, and the fact that Trump is incoherent, that actually hurts. It, 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 but that goes to not the almighty, but the alternative. So we're going to, young people are going to gauge who's got more mental capacity. I don't, I don't know. It's the whole thing. People don't understand. They don't have any idea of the hunger in this country for generational change. They just don't. And unfortunately, I'm, I, I hope I'm wrong, but they may find out. <laughs> I fear you are not wrong, and um, I, I think no labels, which we need to do a show on soon because it's a it's a, a classic scam. Uh, and they're talking about running people like uh, Joe Manchin or people like Larry Hogan. Uh, James, is that the new generation? Is that well, the I, uh, I, like, I, look, first of all? I, I don't don't no labels is, doesn't tell us what who their funders are, where their money's coming from, 
We don't know any position. But I'll tell you what they what, what you can't say is they're not providing something that there is hunger for in, in a substantial part of the country. <laughs> they just they're and whoever they put up, maybe they'll have some positions, maybe we'll know where their money's coming from. We know none of that. But that there's a, a, a thirst out there for this. And as long as the, the choice is Biden or Trump, there's gonna continue to be a thirst. And don't forget Cornell West. Don't forget Cornell West. And we're trying to Robert Kennedy Jr. Or Robert Kennedy Jr. And and, and so they take one poll and it finds out, well, he takes more from Trump than than Biden. You know, and maybe are you relying on one freaking poll? This thing is not at all thought out. It's, it's, this is, you know, it's what my daddy used to say when he served in. He says, you're going to like it because you got to like it. Well, it never made me like it. But this is what we say. You're going yep. to you're gonna have this choice, and that's the choice you got, and shut the fuck up and stand down. So well, I think whatever polls they want to cite, and I am very, like you, uh, uh, skeptical of some of them, common sense tells you that these candidates, these candidates will take more from Biden than Trump. Why? Because the Trump base is really hardcore. I mean, I think they are wrong and I think some of them have really been uh, deluded uh, and they've been deceived but they are hardcore when you talk to Trump people uh, they don't equivocate and if you talk to some Biden voters eh, if they have another option they might take it Uh, you know the other thing that I would point out in in just Trump's unshakable, he's going to be the nominee. People point this out to me all the time. He doesn't drop in the polls. All right, if I'm, if I've been president of the United States and I'm the, the leader of my political party and I'm a Republican party, or let's say I'm a Democrat and I'm the leader in, in, in the Massachusetts primary, I'm getting 53%. That's not very good. Right. That's not what, that, that's where Trump is in South Carolina. He's at 42 in Iowa. Oh, it's a rock-solid 42. 40, a 42 vote in your own party when you're known by 100% of the people in the party. The, the, the geniuses say it's, it's inevitable it's going to be Trump. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of shit <laughs> going to happen here. And if you're if he's at forty two in Iowa, and, and Mike Murphy had a piece, and I, you know it is a lot of him hawing about it that everybody ought to drop out. Nikki Haley has won the, the preseason, and she has the right to go to the World Series or the Super Bowl or whatever the fuck it is. And, and I don't know if that you know it, it won against him, but remember they have a, a winner take all. But these guys are Tim Scott and he ain't gonna last very long. Right, they're not, and and um, I've been I've been reasonably pessimistic about Trump's chances. It probably looks less. um, Some of my observations, I may not want to be as confident of today. But I'll make this prediction. I will say Trump will squeak through in Iowa. It will not be impressive, and then somebody, likely Nikki Haley, that's the conventional wisdom today, probably right, or conceivably Chris Christie, will beat him in New Hampshire, and then we'll see what happens. I, I I I don't know. I'm not, I, I, I learned, you know, from Peter Hart, very early in my career. I forget it all the time. I, I, I delve into 
election predicting. But they, the, 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 the people, the majority of the people that I know are, are absolutely certain that if you don't think, if you don't believe it's Trump and Biden, which is an absolute certainty and it's going to be a head-to-head match and people are going to be find Trump so abhorrent and repulsive that we're going to end up voting for Biden and we're all going to win this election. I, I, I salute your certainty, but excuse me if I can't just agree with you 100%. That I, I think that actually for people in their late 70s and early 80s, it's, it's a very uncertain undertaking. Well, it is. Uh, and uh, we will be talking about this a lot in the weeks ahead. Okay, James, uh, when I read the introduction that we gave to Indira Lakshman and I thought, wow, I'd like to hire that woman. And I remember I actually did once. Indira, the Gaza war with huge number of Palestinian casualties now. Uh, Netanyahu says it won't be over until Hamas is wiped out. But boy, those scenes from the refugee camp were just horrifying. How long and how bloody and what's the region going to look like afterwards? It's not going to be anything good, Al, that's for sure. I think that at this point, it looks like we're talking about weeks or months for this dragging on. Um, as you know, despite the fact that both Secretary of State Blinken and President Biden have been there trying to do diplomacy, it doesn't look like that is going to bring a halt to Israel's operations in any way. Israel's main goal at this point is release its hostages and destroy Hamas. They've made it very clear. And even though Isra- uh, even though Palestinian civilians, including lots of women and children, are being affected in this latest number of strikes on the Jabalia camp and many other strikes we're seeing, um, that is not stopping the resolve of Israel. And, you know, the United States is standing firm with them. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes conversations going on, as we know, with Qatar. Israel is talking directly with Qatar about hostages. Um, But, you know, I think at this point, both the United States and Israel are still in shock about how Hamas was able to launch such a sophisticated attack without Israel or the U.S., for that matter, having intelligence about it ahead of time. Um, It was incredibly sophisticated. So I think at this point they're reeling and I don't see a peaceful resolution in the near term. Look, Indira, I believe the Israelis had no choice but to respond after the Hamas terrorism. No question about that. But every day when we see that carnage, uh, you know, as you say, women, children, just terrible pictures. And that's going to continue uh, for weeks or months, uh, you noted. That risk alienating opinion all over the world, including in the United States. At some point, at some point, doesn't that have to factor into Israeli considerations? I'm not sure that it's going to factor into Israeli considerations at all. We know that for years, Israel has been under pressure at the United Nations, um, you know, and beyond, let's say from the whole world about the two-state solution and, you know, trying to spare civilian lives whenever there is a backlash against Hamas. 
And I do think that at this point, Israel is so burned by what happened, the horror of the massacres, the horror of the hostage taking, including children. We at the AP have written um, daily about the hostages. And there are, you know, some people we focused in on, including a three-year-old girl whose parents were... Let me get to that, that in a minute, because I think that's such a such an absolutely compelling story that you did. And, 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 and that is the level that Hamas has, those 200 hostages. The idea that we can, they got one out uh, yesterday or two days ago, a, uh, uh, you know, uh, and, and she, that's a great, a great mission, but they're not going to get 200 out that way. And, and they're going to use them uh, as, as, you know, hostage leverage. And uh, it's a really delicate situation because if they, and you, you, you will forget more than I'll know about this, but Indira, if their mission really is to destroy Hamas and all its capabilities, they're going to lose most of those hostages. I think that's right, Al. And it's a, it's a no-win situation here for everybody. I think the truth is that, you know, we're already seeing in the United States backlash. We're already seeing that in the latest poll I saw today, uh, President Biden's support among Arab Americans is down by double digit right now at this point. So there's no question that going into an election year, that's going to be a consideration and a factor. At the same time, we're seeing increased instances of anti-Semitism, both in the United States and in Europe. So I think there's no question that this has huge and terrible ramifications. Nobody is winning from this. But I also don't see the United States having the leverage to stop Israel at this point, um, you know, beyond the efforts that we're obviously making behind the scenes trying to get out uh, dual American citizens. That is certainly an effort that's going on. I cut you off when you were telling the story about the AP story on one of the uh, young hostages. Just, just, just briefly tell us about that. Sure. I mean, we have been trying to cover as many of these individual hostage stories as we can. Each one of them is more heartbreaking than the next. This particular one was done by a colleague in London called Lori Kelman. She focused in on a little girl called Abigail Idan, only three years old. Hamas militants burst into the kibbutz where she lived on October 7th, murdered her parents in front of her. She ran for shelter to some neighbors, but then she and those neighbors neighbors were taken hostage, and they're among the more than 200 people who were grabbed and taken away. Well, everybody ought to go read that story because it was, it, 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 it really was compelling. And the human horror uh, of this has been captured so well by, uh, by you and your reporters, Indira. Let me ask one more before turning to James. In the House, Republicans are dividing the president's aid package uh, and separating aid to Israel and Ukraine probably not going to happen, but I think the clear effort is to kind of sandbag Ukraine. You're absolutely right. I mean, there are still some Republicans in the House who are supporters of U.S. backing for the Ukraine war. And among them is, of course, the influential chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Michael McCall from Texas. He is standing firm trying to support, um, you know, the GOP's backing of the Ukraine um, war. But the truth is, he doesn't have a heck of a lot of support in Congress. And we know that the new speaker is not supporting, you know, more U.S. tax taxpayer money going towards the Ukraine war. So, you know, the effort to splinter it off is definitely, as you say, Al, it's powerful. James, 
So, first of all, I want to say something here. I was in higher ed for over 15 years. I've had probably 150 guests, and Andrea, you are one of them. And I will say this to our audience without fear of hesitation, equivocation, or reservation. You were among the 10 most impressive in terms of just the breadth of your knowledge, but not just that, your ability to convey it to young people. Oh, my goodness. I'm I'm blushing over here, James. You're flattering me too much. I'm going to have to come on more often. We'll take that. True. I I I have a theory. I have a lot of connections to Israel. I work there. I I have people. I have people that work for me that live there. I one of my best friends. One of the show's best friend has wife has family over there. And as long as Bibi Netanyahu is the face of Israel, the the world is not going to react. It's reacting very poorly. Is there any way to get this guy out of there? Or, Or how 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 can we get him off the television? I mean, that is the million-dollar question that so many within Israel itself have been asking. You know, his popularity is not great in his own home country. And as we all know, he not only has managed to somehow weather a number of corruption scandals as well as political scandals, but somehow has ended up still in the prime minister's job because it's a divided electorate. The party system is extremely divided. As we all know, unlike us, they don't just have two parties. And he's the one who was able to make a coalition. Uh, You know, at this point, this is one of those things when you have a wartime situation, countries tend to band behind their president or their prime minister in wartime. So although there's not a lot of love lost between the Israeli population and Netanyahu, I think that for the time being, people are standing behind him in Israel because they are so horrified by what happened on October 7th. Well, I... It's not, is it up to me to remind people exactly what the United States contribution has been to Israel over the years in terms of what do you think the total amount of aid that we sent there? What do you think the Iron Dome came from? And he is turning off people left and right. And I'm sorry the Secretary of State needs to go there and sit down and say, this is the way it is, dude. We're the only friend you got left. All right. And and we're going to start suffering political damage here, too. I mean, somebody's got to have some uh, a very difficult conversation, I think. And I, I, I'm sorry. I think we are in a position to have some say so in, in the Israeli political system. Well, perhaps you should be advising the president and the secretary of state, James, because I think a lot of people thought that that might happen. Um, I don't know if any of that was going on behind the scenes, mm-hmm. but the truth is what we saw on the public stage was Biden standing shoulder to shoulder with Netanyahu, supporting him in every way, and we haven't heard that critique. I mean, I would say that someone behind the scenes is putting pressure on Israel saying, look how much the American public has paid for Iron Dome, paid for all of these systems, which by the mm-hmm. way, you know, all that paying we did for that border wall, Hamas was somehow able to blast through it using very low-tech means, using a bulldozer, using commercially available drones to drop rockets. You know, they bust through that wall on October 7th in a way that I don't think um, anybody was expecting, um, despite the huge American government, as you say, and American taxpayer contribution to build that wall and the security in the first place. Yeah, I don't think there's any other parliamentary system in the world that somebody could have survived an act of this massive amount of negligence that the 
Israeli government provided. But you you don't just cover the Middle East. You cover a lot of, you're aware of a lot of things that go in the world. You've been doing it for a long time. And I'm a believer on get bit on the ass theory, that there's something else dangerous lurking out there while we're all focused on Palestine, Gaza, and the Middle East, and focus on Ukraine. What are some things that you see that worry you that we'd have to worry about? And, and let's China, we all know. Is there something else I should, we need to worry about? Because we don't have enough to keep us up late at night. Iran, for sure, keeps me up okay. late at night. Um, I worry about what, first of all, I worry about what kind of outside support Hamas got to do this incredibly sophisticated operation a few weeks ago. I don't think they did it alone. Um, so who was it? who was helping them from the outside. I do worry about what Iran is doing, both with its nuclear program and from, you know, from the point of view of uh, regional terrorism support. Um, I do worry, as you said, about China. Um, and, you know, China, you know, a perfect time to do something in Taiwan when Taiwan is in the middle of their elections is to do it when the world's attention is focused not only on Ukraine, but now on Gaza and Israel. So I certainly worry about China. Um, you know, I worry about Putin, what else could he be doing besides Ukraine? Again, you know, the United States has got its eyes and the world has got their eyes so divided right now that any number of not just rogue actors, but states who do not agree with U.S. foreign policy, who are not aligned with Western interests, are certainly planning their next moves right now while the world is distracted. So, Boss, turn like one other nation. The Iran, the deal that the Obama administration negotiated with Iran, you, it was contemporaneous with the time that you came to my Tulane class. And as I recall, right, I don't put words in your mouth, you said it's actually a tougher on Iran than I anticipated. As I look at this thing, it was actually a pretty good deal from the vantage point of the United States. Of course, how big an idiotic decision was it that Trump made to just stick our finger thumb right in the Iranian's eye? I mean, some of this is self-inflicted. I'm sorry. Right. So I'm, obviously, I, I shouldn't be taking a political stand as, as a you know, journalist at the AP. Right. But I will say from the point of view of diplomacy, it was not a good move to blow up the Iran nuclear deal because that was a really hard one deal. It took years and years of negotiations, as Al knows, because he was my boss at the time. Um, I was at Bloomberg and I went to every round of those Iran nuclear talks over the course of a couple of years from Kazakhstan to Lausanne and Geneva and finally in the end, uh, Vienna. And as you recall very correctly, James, it was a much tougher deal than even, let's say, even than the United States was admitting it was along the way, because for the purposes of public consumption, they didn't want to be, you know, rubbing Iran's nose in it and going around publicly saying, we're getting such a good deal, we're getting such a good deal. They were pretty quiet about it until the deal was signed off. And then they said, you know, hey, this is actually a great deal. And the reporters who were covering it all along, we knew when we actually looked at the paperwork, wow, this is a lot more restrictions and oversight and surveillance than we expected. Now, the minute that President Trump blew that up, 
all of those, um, all of those surveillance, all of that was suddenly off the table. And Iran could just say, okay, well, you broke your end of the deal, so we're going to break ours. It's been a long, hard road under the Biden administration trying to bring back some semblance of that surveillance, some semblance of that oversight. Um, but it's not the deal that it once was. And, you know, the trust is obviously broken. The Iranians are right to worry about, you know, whether we stick to our end of the deal or not depends on who's in the White House. All right, before I turn to Al, I'll make a comment. I don't want you to, you to put you in a position to comment. It's in 1953, every decision that U.S. foreign policy has made vis-a-vis Iran has been a disaster. We're old, we're old for 70 years. That's just my own view. And you don't need to comment on it, but I'll turn it back to Al. Um, Indira, um, we've talked about how awful the situation is in Israel and Gaza uh, right now. There's one thing that could clearly make it worse, and that would be if Hezbollah waged a second front. So far, they don't appear to be eager to do that. What's your take? I think, uh, you know, I certainly can't speak for Hezbollah, but I imagine that they are watching how things are playing out at the moment. They, at the moment, don't need to get involved. I mean, Hamas is waging a huge and horrible war and is being slammed by Israel in return. But I think that Hezbollah is probably celebrating that this is going on. And let's not forget that one of Hamas's motivations for this attack in the first place was almost certainly trying to blow up what was looking like a peace deal coming down the pike between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Well, this obviously blew that out of the water. And so, you know, I think Hamas chose its time carefully and said that they didn't really want Saudi Arabia to make peace with Israel. They didn't want that deal coming down. I think Hezbollah, um, you know, as you as you say, Al, could very well get involved um, down the pike. But right now, um, there's enough complication going on without them. Well, I want to, this is more of a point than a question, and you don't have to answer if you don't want, but um, I've known Jack Lew for 40, what, 43, 44 years. He worked as a young aide to Tip O'Neill, the Speaker of the House. Uh, His mentor was a guy named Ari Weiss, who has run the Rothschild Foundation in Israel for the last 25 years, one of the smartest people in the country. It's hard to me imagine, it's hard for me to imagine picking a better ambassador at this time than Jack Lew who has great governmental experience. He's an expert not only on security, but especially on economics. He is respected by most Israelis. And only two Republicans in a time of war voted for him in the Senate. That is an absolute outrage. It is shocking. <laughs> well, it is it is shocking because this is a time when we need um, an ambassador in Israel you know, fortunately, you know, this is this has gone through now. But I do have to say that it speaks to a larger problem in our body politic that um, that, you know, particularly on the Republican side, we see members of Congress holding up appointments. And it's not just with ambassadors, as you know, it's been with a whole host of Biden administration appointments. And we saw the same thing under the Obama administration as well. It's not a good way to allow government to run. If you're just holding hostage, um, the administration's picks. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's trying to make political points instead of allowing the government to function. And I don't think that's what Republican or Democratic voters want. 
particularly at a sensitive time like this. You know, I don't want to leave Ukraine off the table because it has gotten <clears throat> pushed back to the inside pages with Gaza. But you read the casualties over there, they're stunning. 300,000 Russians, maybe 150,000 Ukrainians. 150,000 Ukrainians is, is, is what, two and a half fold more than we lost, more than two and a half fold more than we lost in the entire Vietnam War. And we're a country that's, I don't know, four or five times bigger. Uh, we were counting, I think, on the Ukraine offensive. Uh, these past three or four months. My impression, without a lot of knowledge, is it hasn't gone quite as well as we hope. You've reported on that and some of the intercepts. What's your analysis? Yeah, it hasn't happened. And you're right that there's been talk about um, the Ukrainian offensive, not just for the last few months, but honestly, all year. And it hasn't really happened in the way that supporters of Ukraine had hoped. I mean, I think part of it is that the Ukrainians are having to, you know, fight through hell on multiple fronts. Um, we had a story the AP had about this Ukrainian brigade that had to survive in a forest just in its effort to reclaim Bakhmut. And, you know, the, the conditions are terrible. Um, it's trench warfare, not unlike what we saw in World War One. Um, in some conditions. We've had reporters literally in the trenches with Ukrainian soldiers. Um, and we have, you know, photographs and video of horrific conditions there. Winter is coming. Um, you know, we have the same problem with lack of fuel and, you know, the heat problems, not just for the soldiers, but for all of Ukraine, for the civilian population. So the conditions are incredibly bad. And I do worry that with what's going on in Israel and Gaza, that the world's attention is going away from the hell that is being experienced in Ukraine. We're now one and a half years into this war. Um, you know, it wasn't the walkover that, that Putin was expecting. But as you say, with 150,000 Ukrainians dead, um, it's dragging on and on. And neither side is, is looking near victory at this point. So I am very concerned about how long that's hanging on. And by the way, also about the massive war crimes and human rights violations that are going on. Um, you know, the AP has reported about thousands of Ukrainian civilians who are being held in Russian prisons. And, you know, we have evidence that Russia is planning to build many more. So when you talk about war crimes going on in Israel and Gaza, they're also going on. Um, you know, we've documented from the Russian side um, war crimes that are taking place in Ukraine. That doesn't seem to bother the pro-Putin Republicans, but uh, let me ask you very, very quickly, uh, and then I'll turn it back to James. The, the, the outside experts you talk to, the detached experts, not who, do, who, who aren't, aren't ideologically, don't have partisan, how do they assess President Biden's handling of both the Middle East and Ukraine? I think right now, um, the impression over Israel is is not great um, from the sort of nonpartisan experts who are looking at it because they would like um, the president to take a sort of stronger position that's not just that you know represents U.S. views at the same time you know the U.S. is Israel's strongest ally and does have to stand side by side and show that we are if, with Israel. I hope, uh, James was talking about this, I hope that in the background, there's a lot of 
um, diplomacy and negotiation going on and that the U.S. is able to make its views known in the background, even if it's not doing it on camera. Yeah, with I do U- too. Yeah, with Ukraine, I think the assessment has been generally that the U.S. has stood very strong on Ukraine. Um, certainly with this latest aid package, um, the Biden administration has been fighting very hard for that package. And as you say, the Republicans are trying to peel it off, peel it away they, they from support survive. for Israel. They couldn't survive without that aid. James Carville, uh, you're, you're the you're the president of the Lachmanin fan club. So well, I, am, you, I think I'll comment and just ask you to, to respond. You it, earlier, earlier in this thing, I, I decried the lack of a propaganda effort to tell American public what was going on in Ukraine and that Putin was just going to wait us out because he knows we don't have any patience or anything else. And, of course, uh, you see that, like, already the, the, the Christian national speakers saying we're tying tax cuts to the wealthy to Ukraine aid. I, I think that Putin is sitting in the Kremlin saying these bastards are just going along just like I told you they would. They hoo-ha, make a lot of racket, and they get distracted and spend money at home. And I think he thinks, my own view is, and I have no idea of being I'm not pals that don't talk, I, I think Putin figures this is going about what, the way I thought it would. I think you're right, James, that Putin rubs his hands together every time he sees divisions in our political system. He's, um, quote unquote, lucky. Not that I think that anything about his authoritarian system makes any sense or is correct, but he's lucky that he has such an iron grip on it that he doesn't have to deal with two feuding parties. Um, so I think you're absolutely right that he, he was hoping for division within the U.S. political system. And, you know, he's seen that all along in the decade that he's been in power. So he's not a newcomer to that. At the same time, I think he was caught by surprise that he wasn't able to end the situation in Ukraine, um, seizing whatever territory he wanted very quickly. I think he wrongly thought that just like happened in 2013, where he went in and seized Crimea, and although there were, you know, complaints and sanctions, um, you know, basically, effectively, he was allowed to annex um, Crimea. I thought he, I think he believes he was going to be able to annex as much of Ukraine as he wanted. It didn't quite go that way this time last year. Yeah, but it, it, the U.S. is losing its focus, I'm afraid. And, it, you know, but I hope I'm wrong, but I can't preach, can't thank you enough, Endure, for being on the show. Very enlightening as usual. And I love listening to you. But when you do those forums, I guess it's on NPR. You always know more than everybody else. And I'm so <laughs> proud of you. And, what you've accomplished, and I know you got many great things ahead of you. Thank you well, very much. You're so kind. Thank you so much for having me, and I'll actually be hosting the World Roundup on NPR this Friday. So, All right, everybody out there, listen, and James and I are now going to go have a fight <laughs> over who is the biggest who is the biggest <laughs> Lachman fan. Well, then I'm right. going to have to go have a fight with myself about whether I'm a bigger fan of Al or James. You're making it <laughs> you hard go. for me here. All right. Thank <laughs> you. All right, guys. Take care, Indira. Thanks so much for having it. me. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, James, now for the outrage of the week. Uh, Republican Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, who in himself uh, has proven to be an outrage, was going after the favorite target of right-wing Republicans, Homeland uh, uh, 
Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. And it ends up that that department uh, apparently had one member who put out some anti-Israeli or some maybe anti-Semitism attacks. That, that person was immediately suspended. It's a personnel matter. So Holy goes and he, and he, and he tries to rake uh, Mayorkas over the coals, demanding and suggesting that this showed the whole department was infected by this. And I want to read you Mayorkas's response to the gentleman from Missouri. Senator Hawley takes an adversarial approach to me in this question, and perhaps he doesn't know my background. Perhaps he does not know that I am the child of a Holocaust survivor. Perhaps he does not know that my mother lost almost all her family at the hands of the Nazis. And so I find his adversarial tone to be entirely misplaced. I find it to be disrespectful of me and my heritage. I do not expect an apology, but I did want to say what I just articulated. Right on, Mr. Secretary. Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, but, it's, but you know, I hope it matters. <laughs> Me too. But, you, you couldn't have outrageous. The face of Bibi Netanyahu. What is that guy doing? Still in office? Still making Israel's case on television and around the world? It. It. it it's first of all the negligence. Oh my God! What what other parliamentary government could possibly survive the most catastrophic piece of intelligence negligence? Even probably even more than 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 nine eleven. You know, uh, you know Pearl Harbor. I can think of, but but what? what why are you still there? Why are you making this case? And by the way, for those of us who have friends over there, those of us who know people, and the, the Jim Gersteins and the deletes of the world, and then my, my former employee, Stephen Miller, is now an IDF. Get this guy out of there. Now, pronto. Get him off of TV. Put somebody else. The case is, we're losing the street, left and right. We're losing the street. Well, obviously, losing Arab Street. But in, in Sydney, we're losing. In London, we're losing. And get it, get this out of here. Go, dude, go. You're, 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 you're disgrace. And why are you sitting there being the spokesman? I, I, I don't get it. You're absolutely right, James. You know, one of my favorite citations is Dwight David Eisenhower, the night before D-Day, sat down and wrote a memo uh, in which he assumed that Operation Overlord was a failure. And what he basically said, these are the bravest young men I've ever known. The fault is mine alone. Bibi Netanyahu has said nothing about taking any responsibility on that. He is the Donald Trump of Israel. Hey, son, you know, we, we could also go back in history to, to Abraham Lincoln, a sort of minor historical figure in, who in August of 1864, remember the election was in November, had written – Told his cabinet that they were going to have we were going to have the election. They were going to cooperate with McClellan. Oh God, I mean, it wasn't Trump, but he was. He was but but that was it. And of course, uh, as history pointed out, W. T. Sherman, our first president of LSU, marches into Atlanta, and the election's over, and he wins. All right, but but he was he was going to give up power. 
And he'd already told everybody, he'd written, he'd written about it. And Netanyahu just sits there, just sits there with a stupid face on TV with his stupid policy and acts like he's the leader of something. And get the hell out, dude. You, 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 you're hurting the cause here. Yeah, absolutely. And now for our terrific questions from our terrific listeners and our usually okay answers at least. We start off with Mike in, in Uncastville, Connecticut. I'm, I don't know where Uncastville, Connecticut is, but he says you're always talking about how, how the Democrats have such a deep bench. I, I agree. But that deep bench needs a deep bench of strategists, which potential Democratic candidate – which one of them has the next James Carville or Paul Begolic and they can seal the deal for them, James? I'll give you a name that I think is, because we had uh, Quentin, who was uh, Warnock's guy. He's a big coming rising star in the party. Sure is. Uh, the guy that I would look at, the person would be Eric Heyer, who is the campaign manager for the Andy Brashear governor's campaign in Kentucky. First of all, mm -hmm. Andy Brashear is at the, the top tier of the young talent in the Democratic Party. It's in, you know, it's Kentucky, so no one's going to pay attention to it. But I'm telling you is, Eric is one of the more competent campaign operatives that I've run across lately anywhere in the country. So if I was, if I, if I was looking at, you know, a, a, a real stud, <laughs> I'd go to Kentucky. <laughs> both, as a, both Andy and Eric, I'm big fans. I'm pretty sure they're going to win next Tuesday. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, let, let's see. We're in this thing in Mississippi, too. So uh, we'll, we'll see what, what happens in Virginia. We've got a big night coming up next Tuesday. It is a big you, night. Don't forget that o Ohio uh, referendum. Uh, right. So the Ohio rest, that that's huge. And I just agreed to go to Ohio to help Senator Sherwood Brown some this wintertime. Go to Cleveland in January. Okay, fine. Let's go. Uh, Jerry in Simi Valley, California said, has anyone done an in-depth analysis on the longer-term effectiveness of the Trump tax cuts? And is this something the Democrats can use to show how the average Republicans are really only for the rich and not the average Joe? Well, the case is certainly there, and there's been numerous studies. Brookings has has done one, uh, tax policy has done one, and they all show the same thing. A, it produced, it didn't, it was a revenue loser, not a revenue gainer, as they promised in 2017. Uh, B, it didn't much help economic growth. And C, the benefits overwhelmingly, as critics charged at the time, went to the rich. The average Joe just got almost nothing out of it. And a big issue for Democrats, Democrats are going to have to join that, maybe in the campaign at 24, but certainly in 25, because many of those tax cuts expire. And the question is, will they be extended? And uh, how many, how, how much of it will be extended? So it's an issue. I think it's an opportunity, James. Yeah, I do I shouldn't say this because I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure there hasn't been a single credible study that shows that cutting taxes for rich people has much, if any, effect on the larger economy. The, the main effect is what you think it is. It makes rich people richer. 
and they've gone out and sold this shit. With, and, and I think this has been studied and restudied and gone over with a fine-tooth comb. And it does not produce, like, they go, well, gee, I really don't want to pee for this, but this is the way that you stimulate. This is stimulative for economic growth. I think that is, a, is about as universally as discredit theory that maybe it's up there with the theory of creationism, but right behind it. Well, I was going to say Arthur Laffer, but then you insisted it had to be credible. Uh, so uh, anyway, they're not. They're, but there's not. There, there've been so many other. There've been so many studies on this. It, it's yeah. it's a really studied thing, and I'm not. But somebody, if I'm wrong, please point it out. James, a little diversity for you, but you you have such a range of expertise. This is from Billy in a former Pac-12 seat. Not quite sure where it is. Could be Arizona, Oregon, Washington, California, Colorado. We don't know. But Billy asks, is the weakness of our political times reflected in our society when we see the 100-year-old institution like the Pac-12 fall apart? This is a semi-ancient tradition for those of us out west. I feel lost and disappointed with our leadership environment. How do we preserve traditions and respect regional traditions? So let me talk about this a little bit. Will Leach, L-E-I-T-H or something, he, he, he yeah. writes on the New York Magazine, I think. Just, I literally just read a piece. And you will appreciate this because you're a huge college basketball fan. And just laments the what he sees as the end of college basketball. That you're going to have the Clemson Stanford game, and unlike, and this was all started by football, and you have these right. idiotic geographic configurations. And he sort of goes through all of the, and, he, and he, he he writes it, I think, very well and very knowledgeable from the standpoint of a college basketball fan. He does not point out, as, as I will point out, there's one conference that hadn't gone along with this, and that would be the Southeastern Conference that actually has maintained its semblance of some territorial integrity. And it, but Will Leach is, and I might be mispronouncing his name. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you take a football team, so Stanford plays Clemson. All right, that's one game. They got six road games a year. This is going to be crushing to to basketball, not just basketball players, volleyball players, baseball players, uh, uh, polo players. I don't know what the shit else they got. You know, there's a thousand sports and softball players, and. These conferences are going to figure out. I mean, in football, is the 200 of the 50 top revenue producing programs in the United States, the only one that cracks the top 50 at 48 is Duke basketball. Yeah. Illinois football makes more money than Duke basketball. And if you talk to anybody from the University of Illinois, they, they will tell you that University of Illinois football is all, there's a borderline joke. Thank God Ken's coming back. But this is having – I thought it was a well-written, kind of thought-out piece. And, you know, I'm, I, I love college basketball. I, I probably, like most people, you know, get a little more cranked up tournament time than regular season. But I, I will sit and watch a Duke Carolina game or, you know, Kansas and and – Baylor play. I mean, I enjoy that midseason, but they're, they're 
they're in trouble, man. Anybody that loves college basketball, <laughs> these, are some, yeah. these are some challenging I, times. I, I agree. And the football, the old rivalries uh, are going. I think, I think sports is just uh, – I, I, I'm a huge sports fan like you, James, and I think it's in at least uh, amateur sports. It's is just so freaking much money. You, you, yeah, you can't, it's all about money. Billy, I, I, give I, you, I, I, I will give the SEC credit. To, thus far, they've maintained okay. their, their – territorial integrity. Well, let me give Billy some good news, though. On your last year, your Pac-12 teams are probably, arguably, the dominant conference in the country, or at least right up there. They have five teams in the top 25. Uh, they have two teams, Washington and Oregon, that are strong contenders to make the playoff. I don't think the Pac-12 has had this good a year in a long time. So, Billy, at least they're going out on a high note. Uh, Mo in Austin, Texas says, I'm hanging on for what the Republican, for, for the Republican contenders. Who do you think up will pick up the lion's share of Mike Pence's 1%? <laughs> I, you know, Mo, I, I tell you, I, I've calculated this and I see Nikki Haley getting 37%, uh, 0.37% rather. Uh, and I see Tim Scott uh, getting uh, maybe one-eighth uh, and maybe Rams Ramswani, I never pronounce his name right, will get another eight. And uh, who else is left there, James? But I think probably uh, 40% of that 1% is just going to go home and say we only were with, uh, with, with, with Mike and Mommy. Mother. I, first of all, I... I don't know what to I mean, how can one human being just allow himself to be humiliated like Mike Pence has? And I, I, I actually, I got to say, I kind of feel sorry for that. First of all, hang Mike Pence. Now think about that. He, this is the most loyal foot soldier of conservative filament, the Christian, whatever. And they were, and I, I'm not sure. One of the unanswered questions that I'd like some experts to weigh out, if they would have got a hold to him, they might have hung him. But these crazy bastards just, you see this guy, they, they just sent us, like, got in a fight with all these federal marshals. Yep. Right, so he has that, which has to be like, oh, my God, my own people want to hang me. You know, it'd be like me going to, you know, Democratic dinner and people yelling, hang James Carville. You know, when the vice president, I'm not comparing myself to that, but a kind of frightening thought. Then he goes out and runs and he gets three people, you know, at a town hall in Iowa. And he finally understandably couldn't raise any money and he and mother decide to repair back to somewhere in Indiana. But this know. guy has been, is humbled, is in is, is anybody can, and I guess he he just keeps plugging on and praying and whatever he does. But I don't know what Mike Pence did in life to deserve what, but he don't deserve to be hung, I can tell you that. He does, and he's actually a nice guy. With, with, he's a very with, nice man. With I've views had. that I strongly disagree with, but he's been, you know, he, he's caused okay. a lot of his own problems. I totally agree, but he's really been treated uh, treated miserably. Well, well sir, I, I, I'm not hanging you. Yeah. <laughs> I will assure you of that. James Henry, in a town I think you've heard of called New Orleans, says if President Biden does poorly against Dean Phillips by April, you know, he's winning 60% or less of the primary votes. And he announces he has a medical condition and bows out of the race. 
Where do the Biden delegates go? And we, we no, don't don't think like that, Henry. Don't think like that. That's that's not it. We we are we operate in certainty. There are no health issues among people in their eighties. There's no such thing. New Hampshire goes along with the dictates of everybody else, and you're getting infected by Carvillism, which says that life and politics are an uncertain endeavor, and people are a lot smarter than us say that we're wrong. But just between you and I, Henry. Uh, you got a point. <laughs> Thank you, Chairman Harrison. I appreciate that. It was, it was well said. John in Canton, Michigan uh, says, considering Trump's animus for CNN and MSNBC in his retribution presidency, do you foresee a puppet FCC commissioner revoking broadcast licenses, uh, First Amendment arguments overcome by his bogus, his bogus claims uh, of, of fake uh, fake news, yeah, I think the media is going to have enormous problems if, if he's elected. Uh, he wants to overturn that 1964 decision. He'll try to do that. Uh, that basically says you have to, if you're a public figure, uh, you can, uh, you, you know, you can sue for uh, defamation. You can win if you can prove uh, actual malice or reckless disregard of facts. That's not a bad standard. It served us very well now for 60 years. Trump wants to end it. He talks about fake news. James, fake news by definition is defamatory. It meets that standard. If you if you put something out on the air and print that you know is factually wrong, that is certainly a reckless disregard of facts. But uh, Trump uh, will. I think Trump is a real threat to the First Amendment and a free press in America. It's not. Yeah, the, the, he's not just a threat. Of course, First Amendment in the free press is something that you, you, we all care about. You care about it particularly because your whole family's. You know, probably most. Prominent family, I don't know, American journalism. I knew the right thing. The whole shit and caboodle is going down. Not just the First Amendment. The, the Fourth Amendment is going down. The Fifth Amendment is going down. The whole idea, the whole election is going to be go down. He is going to end the Constitution as we know it. That's what's at stake here. Understand that. He doesn't give a shit about the Constitution. Sam Alita, in this, this, I'm sorry, Clarence Thomas is very likely a criminal. What's he going to do about the, the IRS? Was he going to pay the IRS for all his loan forgiveness he got? They don't care. I'm not being an alarmist. I'm not being a partisan. These people could give less of shit about the Constitution. Yeah, I really I've... believe that. Um, I'm afraid you're right. The final question, I think, is right down your alley, something you care deeply about. Dr. Allen in Las Vegas, Nevada, says 2.4 million veterans need to know who to vote for. Many military veterans and families throughout the country in our blogs, you know, refuse Biden and Trump or they have different views. Your help is desperately needed. What are some of those things you might tell those veterans, James? Well, Tommy Tuberville. <laughs> and I'm, I'm talking to some people more trying to help these guys. Are, it, it, the problem is we cannot destroy it. Tommy Tuberville is holding up all the promotions. By the way, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, four-star general, unfortunately uh, had a heart attack. We now have a three-star. I don't, sure he's a, I don't have anything. But guy, we don't have a Commandant. We got a three-star general is a, is a Commandant of the Marine Corps. Not like the Marine Corps don't have... Issues that they got to deal with. All of this is being backed up. 
And, and I'm having some conversations tomorrow to try to get some very knowledgeable people to explain, because I know how detrimental this is, not just to morale, but to command structure. And we had Admiral Stravitas on. We have two carrier groups in the Mediterranean. A carrier group is, he went through just, you know, one of the things that we do, the Navy does, is they have the Gerald Ford. And it's always by itself in glassy seas. That's not life in the Navy. That's not a naval. That's not a carrier. A carrier doesn't very seldom op, doesn't, it never operates by itself. And, and glassy seas are the, the big exception, certainly not the rule. But I'll have more to say this because I'm digging in this, and I'm just telling every veteran and my friend in Arizona, every time you see, in, in the military, they, they give them and they parachute these rangers in and these goddamn yahoos, and they're gonna, I'm sure they're going to be at the Alabama LSU, the LSU Alabama game because we planted it there. We did it at Army. They landed the guys in the, in, on a 50-yard line at camo end zones and 102,000 people in Baton Rouge cheering their lungs out. I guarantee you 70% of them voted for Trump and would vote for Tommy Tuberville, and we got to continue to bring heat here. Well, you are you are doing um, the Lord's work on this, James. I mean, I'm, I'm trying, really. I man. think you I'm you trying. have not given up on this. You're enlisting people, and it's a really critical issue. It's a terrible commentary, and I also think it's a terrible commentary in the United States Senate. Um, you know, a, a know nothing like Tommy Tuberville. Eight and a half months. There are, fa- I mean, you know, you talked about the commandant of the Marine Corps and the, you know, the, the operator, the head of naval operations. And there are a lot of important people, but they're also rank and file who don't know where they're going, whose families hmm. have no idea where their kids are going to school, uh, who need Gosh. the extra money they have planned for that. It's, um, it's a disgrace. So, James Carville, keep keep at I'll it, okay? We're going to try. We're going to try. <laughs> All okay. right. All right. Thanks for those questions. They are always terrific. If we didn't get to them this week, send them in again. We'll try to get to them next week. Thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you check out the links to our recent sponsors in our past episode show notes. We deeply thank you for supporting them because when you do, it makes this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You also can find other shows you might enjoy on the Politicon YouTube channel or when you search Politicon on your favorite podcast sites. And remember, please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning.